0: From KQED,
1: a summer scandal saga in San Francisco. How many S's can I get in so, one headline? Sounds silly. That's <laughs> <laughs> this is the California Politics podcast for the week ending Friday, August seventh. I'm John Nyre from KQED News. That is Anthony York from the Grizzly Bear Project. Marisa Lagos from KQED News here as well. All together, this is exciting. We're all finally back together.
0: The gang's just, all here.
1: Just to serve papers that I'm leaving. <laughs> Okay, good. So, uh, uh Anthony's three... in
0: shorts. We should note he's not taking this too seriously. And
1: dress socks. <laughs> I will take That's it very. That's another se- podcast. <laughs> I will take it very seriously. Three topics this week: uh, the new allegations um, of uh, corruption in San Francisco. More allegations, I guess, is our first topic. Then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the man with the money, Tom Steyer, and uh, a little subtle, not so subtle threat he made today about the world of gasoline and gas prices and we'll end uh with a bit of the uh end of an era or is it the end of an error as the um you know the bumper stickers they used to have for the war anyway yeah prop 57 deficit bonds end of an era we'll talk about and a little bit of side dish so let's talk about san francisco okay san francisco resident marisa lagos this is the story this week this new series of allegations from uh the man known worldwide as Shrimp Boy.
0: Yeah, my goal this week is to get Shrimp Boy on the air as many times as I can say it. So just, Okay, so I'm going to count. Shrimp that's, Boy.
1: That's
2: three. Um, <laughs> and, you know, let me <laughs> just his say. His name is Raymond.
0: Raymond Chow. Actually, his traditional name is right. way longer. Um no, but this was a nice sort of breakup to the summer doldrums. You know, the, the legislature's on break. There's not a ton happening. We needed um, something. We needed something. And we got it, uh, courtesy of Tony, Sarah and company, uh, Shrimp Boy's lawyers. So to back up a little, um, Shrimp Boy is a Chinatown uh, personality, let's say. If you talk to the feds, they'd say sort of gangster. Um, if you talk to his lawyers, they say just a good guy who's, who's been painted in a wrong way. But he was indicted last year, along with a host of other folks, including State Senator Leland Yee, now former state senator. And um, this is sort of the latest salvo in the case. Yee and a couple of his folks uh, sort of Im- implicated in the corruption probe into him pleaded uh, guilty about a month ago. Shrimp Boy's fighting the charges, and this week his attorneys filed a very interesting motion to dismiss in which they essentially said that Shrimp Boy is just being targeted because he got away from the feds before, it's a selective prosecution, that uh, a host of politicians in San Francisco up to Mayor Ed Lee, are also guilty of the type of corruption that they're accusing him and Leland Yee of, but they just decided not to go after them because it was politically expedient. Um most interesting were the exhibits in this case in which the defense quoted a bunch of wiretaps directly from the feds records that they got through discovery um which did seem to implicate not necessarily the mayor um directly because he was not ever directly quoted but people close to him saying that he basically they laundered money for him and um that that you know city officials had sold guns to the feds i mean it you can't make this stuff up.
1: Yeah, well, you, you can't or you can, depending <laughs> on whether people believe the the allegations and the stuff. OK, but let's back up just for a moment for people who have not followed every single moment of this. I mean, let's remind people that, um, that uh, Raymond Chow, uh, shrimp boy, is that five or six? We've said it now. Uh, former State Senator Leland Yee, and like 27 others, I believe, were originally indicted uh, in 2014 on all these kinds of charges, firearms trafficking, money laundering, all these different kinds of things. Um, And Yee uh, has pleaded guilty to the racketeering charges involving campaign fundraising. Some of the rest of this is still playing out, but Raymond Chow has continued to assert his innocence, I guess. Yeah,
0: I mean, he's essentially saying that, um, so he was first imprisoned about 20 years ago in, in some sort of similar probes, and he was let out in 2002 um, under a plea deal in which he agreed to testify against a sort of bigger uh, gang leader who then ended up going free on appeal. So the basis of what the the attorneys for uh, Shrimpway are saying is that you know, he's the big fish that got away and you guys have always wanted to go after him. And essentially that you've ignored all these other people who are doing even worse things because they're public officials um, at the expense of going after him.
1: You just you just called somebody with the nickname Shrimp Boy, the big, big fish. fish. Yeah, yeah. I, I got sorry, that. Sorry. Too. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, but but I you know, I guess for me is I mean, does this story, this. Allegation of scandal. Does it stop at the Bay Bridge at the Golden Gate Bridge? I mean, is there, is there some larger something that we chew on in the universe of California? I mean,
2: I think the actors are San Francisco based. I mean, the Leland Yi stuff involved the Philippines, and it, it was global. And so, right there, were, there was an alleged global arms deal. In people the need often. things, right? People need things, <laughs>
0: like, uh, like uh, RPGs, and, uh,
2: but but it seems like the actors here are all centered in and around san francisco i mean i i haven't seen anybody named or mentioned that sort of resonated outside of. but there uh, is so much there
1: is there, there are so many people on the state level who have a role in what happens in san francisco we've got state officials who are from the bay area we've got and and everybody i mean you covered city hall marisa in your time away from state politics and now we pulled you back but i mean the, the seven degrees of separation or six degrees, they're not yeah. very many.
0: Well, I mean, that's kind of the interesting thing. You know, Leland Yi was a state senator when all this went down. Um, most of the allegations were around him trying to retire campaign to, for his mayoral campaign. And, and, and certainly all the players named in this um, really bombastic legal filing are local players. But, you know, Politics is a big a big web of connections. And I think that that's sort of when you when you cut through the the sort of outrageous statements in this, the core of the lawyer's arguments for shrimp boy um, did resonate with me a little bit. You know, the people who the feds went after on what some people would say is a fishing expedition, because it really did seem like they sort of
2: I'm sorry. I'm
0: sorry. (laughs) I was just in Mexico, but you know, they really focused on a lot of people that don't have sort of higher connections. And if if the filings are believed to be true, and some of the allegations made in these um, discoveries, you know, that are through wiretaps and conversations with undercover agents, then there's possibilities that other people up to the mayor could be implicated in in pretty untoward behavior, and yet, who you know who is the one politician taking the fall here, Lee Yee, who really didn't have a lot of friends outside of his own sort of inner circle. So I, to your question, I yeah. mean, it, who knows? I mean, we don't know. Um, we've seen, you know, in decades past, similar corruption probes we've seen, you know, in with some LA lawmakers, the Calderons. Calderones, ha- there's pending cases around, you know, bribes and other things. Um, I think that, you know, at its core, what's sad about all of this is that this is sort of what the cynical public expects of politicians and people and it, it, it is sort of plays on our worst fears about people in power
2: but yeah. this but this investigation to your question this investigation remember did not come out of the political corruption unit no. it was an organized crime investigation so i think that might sort of in terms of political implications it might might sort yes. of focus it in san francisco and
0: even you know on the local level political fallout i think is you know there were two supervisors named in this filing none of them have any there's no proof that any of them did anything wrong there's a few allegations uh there are allegations that Mayor Ed Lee knew about laundered campaign contributions nothing you know straight from the horse's mouth directly tying him and so he's running unopposed um the supervisors who are named you know don't have any big challengers i don't think in the short term we're going to see any huge fallout here certainly anything beyond san francisco um but we don't know we don't know what the feds are still looking into we don't know what other ties folks had who are involved in this we don't know If There was actually an assistant district attorney who ran for DA in San Francisco but works in Alameda who had some pretty um, inflammatory comments in terms of conversations between her and Leland Yee. So this could extend at least to the East Bay.
1: I do want to say, though, that I'm curious about one player in this because now that that this has moved into the the local prosecutorial uh, era, uh, George Gascon, the district Mm -hmm. attorney of San Francisco – who uh, got a little bit of statewide attention uh, in 2014 with a ballot measure on crime issues and things that we've talked about before. Uh, it's it's an interesting position for a guy who everybody's already kind of been talking about. Like, what else could he do? What's he watching? Uh, a, a bit of a, a dangerous one, I would think, because, I mean, you can get a lot of publicity, but you can also find yourself too far out of things. I mean, so... Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, that is the interesting thing. and I mean, despite sort of... What you would expect, uh, given his political rhetoric and how it lines up with a lot of what the city sort of and the city leaders believe in San Francisco, Gascogne doesn't have a lot of friends in the political establishment in San Francisco. And to some extent, neither does city attorney Dennis Herrera, who also challenged um, Mayor Lee when he ran in 2011 and, and is also allegedly... Investigating these charges, so yeah, I think that this is going to be fascinating. I mean, the question is whether or not the local investigators will get any of the goods from the feds, which is all mostly sort of hidden by the court at this point. Um, And without that, is there any proof? I mean, who knows? Um, So yeah, I think that there's definitely the potential for political fallout on. On a, a number of levels.
1: So I just got to say, in in my scanning of this uh, of this story of the allegations, this uh, anecdote, <laughs> this anecdote about a a gun and a candy bag yeah. from from uh, from a from a, from a city official and said, "Enjoy the candy." <laughs> 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 I, I mean, I, if you're the podcast audience, you're probably going to have to roll back and Google search that one a little bit. I mean, Marisa can tell you, but like. That's just yeah. that's that's great theater, this isn't it?
0: Is yeah, municipal transportation the, authority official. The horse
1: head was not available.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he was
0: asked to get guns by an undercover agent and allegedly. A, a, alleged? Well, we know he was asked to get guns by an undercover agent. Oh. He allegedly uh, gave him a gun you know, after driving away from a previous lunch in a city-issued car um, and said, in a seized candy bag or box, and said, enjoy the candy. So, yeah, why hasn't that guy been prosecuted? (laughs) Like, I mean, there's so many questions that these filings bring up, more questions than answers, really, um, which is exactly what the defense wants, right? It's just these
1: great lines, you know, from the Calderon case, uh, you know, that would be diamonds, anything you can do. Leland Yee, people need things, and now this one, enjoy the candy. Not to
0: mention all the expletives in Leland's. (laughs) <laughs> yes. There was more there.
1: All right. So we'll keep watching that one. I mean, I am curious to see whether it goes beyond uh, beyond the Bay. And, and whether
0: I, anybody else is indicted, ultimately.
1: Yeah. And, and also to just kind of anything that peels back, if it's true, and all of this comes out to be in some way provable, what it reveals about uh, the inner workings of people who know people in politics and the way the political universe might work. So let's talk about a guy who wants to be in politics um, more and more, it seems, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, as our second story on the California Politics Podcast. Tom Steyer, billionaire um, hedge fund manager from San Francisco, wait for it, um, who was in Santa Monica on Wednesday with uh, his uh, new allies, uh, Consumer Watchdog, the nonprofit group uh, run by Jamie Cord and others that have um, been a thorn in the side of uh, a lot of people provoking things on consumer issues for several years. So Steyer and Jamie Court want the legislature to get involved on uh, the price of gas in California and allegations that there's price gouging. They uh, claim that Californians paid a billion dollars more for gas than the rest of the nation in July. And Steyer, and this is the point where I really find the story interesting, let's talk about it. The point was uh, they want legislation or they might consider an initiative in 2016. And who would have the money for that? No idea. Mr. Thomas Steyer. And what do you make of this? Uh, well, I, what I make of this is I
2: think that this is actually a uh, opening up a, a, a different front in a larger war over SB three fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about um, the major climate change legislation proposed by uh, Senate Pro Tem Kevin De Leon, a and close pending. ally, a close ally of Tom Steyer, and that's something that we're going to be talking about over the next month. I think a lot. Okay. Um, and one of the big issues, uh, it, it, this is this is the, le- the legislation that would meet the uh, energy goals that Governor Brown set out in his inaugural. It was his inaugural, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was a his state of the state address, and an inaugural both, all rolled into one, and a dessert right. topping. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a floor cleaner and a dessert topping, um, but um, but but that. Among the goals is to reduce California's uh, use of petroleum by fifty percent. and And the typical pushback from the oil industry is that this is going to increase the the price of gasoline. Consumers are going to pay at the pump. That's the way they defend themselves. And so I think this is this is related, right? Because they're saying, "Hey, wait a minute, you know, we want to really lower the price of gasoline. Let's have this investigation into collusion or whatever, whatever uh, Mr. Steyer may be alleging against uh, the oil company. so I, I see this is all very, connected to what's happening legislatively in California. Well, I,
1: I think so too, but I also think it's connected to the way that Steyer has approached... This is, this is just another chapter of Steyer's relationship with the oil company, right? The oil excise tax uh, discussions for several years. The SB 350, which we can talk about uh, a little bit because it against has... against
0: AB 32. Yeah, but SB 50 yeah. in
1: particular with this notion of cutting uh, yeah. a gas use. On and on and on, it's almost as though Steyer has been itching for a fight. With big oil, yeah, uh, and in Ring some it. way, shape, or form, right? I mean, you know, now maybe is suggesting that 2016 is the time to have it. Of course, the the, the challenge here for everybody, and this gets to the SP350 part, is 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 the spin, right? Is casting the narrative. Is this about consumers? Is this going to hurt consumers? Is this about big, bad oil? Is this about rich people who don't know what uh, other people have to go through to fill their gas tanks? Yeah, I
0: mean, and it's an interesting alliance. You know, he's throwing in his lot with Consumer Watchdog, a group that has done a lot of good things for consumers, but also has questions around its sort of motives because they often tend to benefit themselves as an organization from, from the policies they push. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, the bigger political question clearly is like what Styer's move after all of this, I mean, there's, you know, he's he's publicly mold running for Senate. Said he wouldn't. There's questions about a gubernatorial run. Um, but it does seem like, you know, c- folks on, you know, like the pro Tem and on the side of SB three fifty have a very deep pocketed friends in this, and one, like you said, who's really specifically wanting to go after the oil industry, which I think in California, you know, is not the most politically it is not necessarily is politically astute to some extent right depending on how it shapes up I don't think maybe
2: maybe broader with the voters although you look at some of the initiatives that we've had the Steve Bing initiative going after the oil industry I mean there are limits and if you look at support for uh for an extraction tax I mean there are I think it's it's not the easiest fight I mean I it's maybe politically safe for a democrat but it's not. But to fight. But in terms of a fight that you can actually win. Absolutely. Uh, and guess, and in the legislature as well. I mean, oil has very strong allies in the Democratic Party. Uh, a lot of Democrats in the Central Valley and oil in oil country. Right. Um, and we've seen time and again that that legislation aimed at oil companies dies, uh, at kind of an unceremonious death. I guess
0: I just feel like if you're Steyer and you look at the history of you know millionaires, billionaires who have run for office in this state, it's not the worst place to start if you're running from a pretty lefty position to come out and be able to say at some point, I'm, you know, I am the billionaire who took on the oil industry. I am the person who has pushed back against, you know, this evil, whatever you want, you know, like, however you paint it. And that, that, you know, not to say that he doesn't believe in these policies, but that there could be bigger <laughs> political calculations at work well, here.
1: I just find fascinating, you know, so again, as I said, th- this thing that Californians have paid more, so much more than everybody else for gas, which is factually true. I mean, you know, there's a lot of news stories over the last few weeks about uh, the um, plummeting price of a barrel of oil and how it's impacted gas prices in rural states and other parts and parts of the East Coast right. and other places like that. But the hard part is, is that the price of gas is relatively low in California now to what we were paying uh, not that long ago. And yeah. so, so do you have any kind of like, you know, anything, any foment out there, mm-hmm. anything that like people can say, damn right, I'm mad about that versus like they're all kind of nobody's complaining like they but, were. But I think it's part of this
2: larger fight, right? The reason, the reason California pays more, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, if you talk to the oil companies, they'll say, you know, it's diminished refining capacity. Well, we really don't actually know why. We pay more Right. Off. Well, there's there's refining capacity. You know, the yeah. oil companies will say there are special blends and it's the environmental rules that are in place in California that are not in place in other states. And so um, and, and I think that this is that's why I th- this is sort of an interesting uh, an interesting new front in this battle on the consumer side. It's the consumer argument is one that the oil companies have made. Yeah. It's been their defense against more regulation that consumers will pay more at the pump. And now you have Steyer saying, hey, what, and, you know, maybe putting some money and some muscle behind an effort that says, well, let's look, let's try to get these books opened up and, and take a look at what's really going on, and whether it is just the environmental regulations or whether there's something else more sinister at play. It does make yeah. it an
1: interesting discussion then about like it's a it's a transparency ballot measure if you were going right. to run it, sure. right? It's not a... It's not a we're trying to hurt oil, we just want them to be honest about what they do. Yeah,
0: and that and I think that that does, could play different that could play well. Um and I think John to your point though about whether or not people are that concerned, I think the problem, you know, for, for this side is that those uneven oil prices, like, yeah, they've been short-lived, and they've also been really unevenly distributed around the state. So down south, there was far more spikes earlier this summer than there were up in northern California. And so I think that, you know, there's not this sort of massive consumer revolt because people haven't seen it to the same extent everywhere.
1: I, I You know, just uh, as, a, as a concluding way to get on this subject, to, to your point, Anthony, this is a very fascinating time to have this discussion a week and a half before the legislature returns with this bill that the oil industry is trying very hard to kill or amend or in some other way. Right. And we can and will talk about that. Stay tuned. There's another podcast coming on that, folks. Mm-hmm. Just next week. <laughs> but... But this is this is such an interesting time to right to do that shot across the bow. To your point, I mean, this is maybe not directed at the public as much as it is the people who sit in that domed building in here in Sacramento.
2: It's a twofer, and if you want leverage with the initiative process, um, you know now is the time because now is the time when we're going to have to start seeing some of these initiatives. You know, you're seeing some of the tax reform proposals. At at, at a certain point now, the calendar the calendar is getting to the place where, where if you're serious about 2016. Uh, the time is now to start, you know, showing a couple of your cards. And so I think that that's part of it. But but the legislative timing uh, is also a,
1: a except, major anchor. Except if you're a billionaire and you, can, you can pay whatever late. you need for the signatures to get it on the ballot fast. But you're right. right so you right. could wait. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, onward to our side dish on uh, this week's California Politics Podcast, our little moment of a little sample of uh, news and reviews. And let's stay in the universe of. Climate and environment. Since we're in Tom Steyer, uh, Marisa Lagos, So you can find her on Twitter at M this one almost made the list of actual topics. It's that big of a side dish. This is not like a. This is not one of those little small, uh, you know, shishi restaurant dishes. This, this is, is like a, is a, a share an, a sharing side yeah, dish. this, this is, is, like a, this, is this is This is like a chili cheese fries from Denny's or something. But go ahead. Wow. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> all right. Well, we're not. We're not partaking
0: in that, John. Um, well, and speaking of spoiling for a fight, you know, the, the governor uh, sent a letter to all ten candidates who are debating Thursday night uh, well, I guess he sent them to all 17 Republican candidates uh, you presidential mean that, you candidates. mean that
1: did debate Thursday night
0: right right we're we're, ta-
1: we're taping on Thursday before the debate transparency oh, secret
0: um, <laughs> I thought I said that well anywho <laughs> so basically the governor has sent an open letter to the GOP field saying given the challenges and the stakes around climate change what is your plan? what are you going to do about it? Um, and he goes on to make some, you know, obviously reference the Pope in the encyclical and his visit to the Vatican. But of course, get the he, Pope in there. can't <laughs> not get the Pope in there. Um, you know, but he goes on to talk about California's plans to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And really, I think the best part of the letter is at the end where he where he goes into how protecting our planet, quote, shouldn't be partisan. California's left chief, chief executive, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, understood this. And he ends with... Um, Unless you think this is this movement is limited to Democrats and only embraced within our borders, the Conservatives in England, the moderates in Germany, and even the Communists in China are on board. As the fires continue to burn here in California, don't wait for the smoke to clear. It's time to act.
1: Okay, quick, quick around the old studio here. Does the latter get mentioned in the debate? No. Does the latter get mentioned in the debate? Nope. See, I just think if you're one of those moderators and you want to provoke some kind of moment or, you know, or I don't know, like you just get you you, you invoke Jerry Brown, which is red meat for Republicans. This is is a Republican debate in Cleveland. Oh,
2: maybe, maybe the red meat. I mean, yeah, maybe. But I think this is a Fox News moderator. This is red meat. But
0: they're Fox News. I mean, I don't know.
2: They're all kind of climate boogeymen that I think are larger than Jerry Brown. Right. I mean, I I could be wrong about that.
1: We'll just we'll just we'll keep our eye on. Donald Trump's hair then all right, so, you're, so you're a yes I'm a yes okay, okay. all right we'll, we'll, we'll see I everyone so. by the time they hear the podcast will know whether I was wrong we, we will acknowledge it publicly on Twitter who I hope right so who it'll be
0: wrong. the most California plays in the Republican <laughs> presidential race all year potentially but you know this is look Jerry Brown likes to be relevant and, and, and he's getting pressed for this and we're talking about it and even if it changes nothing um, I think it puts him out there and gets him on record And and you know there's, there's no downside for him. And on
2: Thursday, he was at the fire site up in, uh, up in Calusa County or Lake County. Where, uh, and uh, I, he, uh, along those lines, he said something
1: like, California is burning up. What are you going to do about it? Well, so, and he said know. on Los Angeles radio also yeah. on Thursday morning, he said, uh, climate change is not waiting for the Republican Party. So, yeah, he's, he's looking for his place. Yeah. Uh, OK, uh, all of you listening, you'll tell me if I'm wrong. I, I just got to I just think it's red meat. OK, um, my side dish, uh, speaking of red meat. Um, which uh, you can find me on Twitter at John Myers. So just a a quick observation that we had campaign filings um, over the course of the last few days, candidates and non-candidates, politicians and whoever, sitting on campaign cash and reporting what they have and don't have. Uh, Everybody knows that the governor is sitting on about $23 million uh, in a couple of accounts and wonders what he will do with that money. And I would suspect some kind of ballot measure either for something or defending something would be my guess. Uh, But I just wanted to flag two others. One was flagged by our friend Chris McGarrian at the L.A. Times. I actually heard him ask the question the other day, which uh, after a press conference about something else, that state treasurer John Chung is sitting on about three million dollars, three point three million dollars. And what does the treasurer want to do after that? And the treasurer said, admitted that, you know, he would entertain the idea of running for governor, which, of course, would be a, a a crowded field after Gavin Newsom has uh, tried to run about five laps around that track already. Um, but, uh, you know, Ch- people think Chung could have some other elected office. I would encourage him to look at lieutenant governor because I think that could be oh, an open would. place. Oh, you would. Well, I'm just saying. John Myers Consulting. No, no, no. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, who who's declared for that? But, you know, who knows? Anyway, $3 million. And then... Um, uh, a few other people had money here, there. Newsom had, you know, he's been raising several million dollars, I think five million or so to his uh, thread. And then one person who's not talked about, but it's a lot of money. And I kind of give this the it's not quite the Bill Lockyer award. And you, folks in, in California politics will remember Bill Lockyer sat on money for a very long time, wanted to be governor, wanted a race for governor, never, never was able to do it, but sat on millions of dollars, even as he didn't have another office that he could ultimately run for. So in that vein, Fabian Nunez, the former Speaker of the California State Assembly, who is now in the private sector, in the, um, the public affairs universe, uh, is sitting on a Nunez for Treasurer account, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, of $3.8 million. A lot of cash for a guy not in office and not talked about in office, which begs the question, Fabian, what are you going to do with it? So it's you like can half his annual salary time. now. So, is it? I don't know. Speaking of consulting, and uh, right. who knows,
2: he seems to be doing pretty well.
1: So anyway, food for thought there in a side dish. Anthony York, uh, who you can find on Twitter at Anthony York forty nine. Side dish. Uh, well, in the speaking of mysterious dollars, <laughs> uh, there was a uh, formal nice, tra- nice
2: transition. A formal investigation announced this week by the Fair, Fair Political Practices Commission uh, into uh, the new head of the uh, of the PUC, Michael Picker. Uh, and, and and at issue is what happened to the money that was raised by outgoing PUC president Michael PV. Uh, PV had sort of an unceremonious end to a long uh, tenure as as head of the Public Utilities Commission. On his way uh, out the door, he was raising money. Picker was listed as a uh, as a co sponsor of a dinner to raise money uh, at, for a dinner honoring PV. The money was going to go to UC Berkeley uh, as other investigations started pointing some fingers about uh, There was a, a, a probe into PV's cozy relationship with, uh, with the utilities uh, while he was the top regulator in the state, and uh, amid that firestorm, Berkeley said they didn't want the money. And so now there's a question about where the money has gone. Um, it's unclear. There are apparently tens of thousands of dollars at stake, and no one seems to know what happened to it. So it's just one of these you know The PEC is, is a very powerful entity. Um, the, the, uh, you're dealing with major uh, political players and large corporations in California, and it's something that's not as, as covered as often as, uh, as, say, the legislature or things like that. So uh, this is just one of those stories. I, I find the PUC fascinating, that culture of the utilities and the people who regulate them fascinating, um, their importance and the scope and the, the size of the, the
1: role they play. And so this little story is, uh, is one that I'm watching. One to watch. And uh, as we move to topic three on this California Politics Podcast, a story that played out for a very long time that came to an end this week, here's a little, like, flashback to the past. For the first time in a long time, Republicans and Democrats are working together in Sacramento to solve California's problems, to resolve our fiscal crisis. The legislature placed two measures on a ballot that comprised a bipartisan
2: balanced budget plan. Proposition 57 will refinance past deficit borrowing with lower annual interest payments. Prop 58 requires a balanced budget every year without
1: borrowing so that we never get into this mess again. Join us in voting yes on 57 and 58. Yes, that was a television commercial that aired across uh, California in early 2004. Arnold Schwarzenegger, along with his sentences being finished by Steve Wesley, then the state controller, in support of Prop 57 and 58. The end of the era this week, Prop 57, those deficit bonds from 2004, finally paid off by the state. The bottom line, uh, $14.2 billion in borrowing cost us $19.2 billion when it was all said and done. $4.8 $4.8 billion of interest, about $200 million in administrative costs. My favorite number from crunching the numbers this week, for 11 straight years, the state paid an average of a $1 million a day in interest. A $1 million a day for 11 straight years for the borrowing from 2004. So that era is over. The last payments were made, put in uh, what I would conveniently call, I know this invokes another political story, a lockbox. Because there are a few bonds that haven't quite matured. But it is the end of a of, a, of an era financially. A look back on the way that Schwarzenegger and legislators tried to solve the problem. Um, I did a lot of reporting on this week, and the one and, and the one thing that I think people do forget is that this idea of borrowing to cover the deficit was already on the table when Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. walked in the door. That uh, it actually started uh, had to go back, thanks to a nexus search and some of the. Ex members of the Capitol Press Corps, but I remember them well. I remember the era. It started with legislative Republicans who were talking about some kind of short-term bridge loan for part of what was a thirty-five billion dollar deficit. It morphed into something that Gray Davis embraced with a longer payback. It morphed into something Schwarzenegger embraced with an even longer payback, and it was bigger because he rescinded the car tax increase. And on and on and on we went. But it was, it was, uh, it was decidedly an era that had a had a real impact, wouldn't you say, on on not only the Absolutely. fiscal nature of California, but the politics of how we get things done.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, this is sort of, you know, what led to to the ease in which Jerry Brown was reelected. Right. I mean, this was this was the sort of the low point, maybe the nadir of our of our financial crisis. I mean, well, I guess 08 really was. But, well, but I mean, but this was a, a moment where where um, I, I mean, look, the, the that financial crisis of uh or that recession of of uh of the early 2000s that led to the recall schwarzenegger was going to come in on this in this new era i mean this was sort of the beginning of the end of that of that way of doing things it really paved the way for prop 30 Mm -hmm. um and for the uh, for the the sense that california had to get its books in order and also years of cuts years of 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 deep budget cuts um that california endured uh you know over the last decade and now you know, now that we sort of have paid off some of those those our old debts and are a little more stable, as we've talked about on this podcast, I think now there's a, a new discussion beginning about where do we go from here. We've come, we have sort of come out of. This is a, a nice symbolic way of, of marking the, the last decade of California financial and political history, and I think there are some real questions and some real different ideas about you know what the next decade could and should look like.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with you that it was a low in the sense that, I mean... The, what happened in 08, 09 hurt more because it was the direct services being cut. But And
1: we borrowed another part of the deficit bonds in 08, another $3 billion, can, $3. Yeah, which and people can forget. We talk
0: about that? I mean, Schwarzenegger's <laughs> legacy, this is th- this was a ridiculous idea. I mean, when you talk why, about. Why do you
1: say that? I don't think it was $4
0: billion dollars in interest. What did you calculate? 30% interest? It's, no, th- about 34% t- interest.
2: T- total, that's 3.4%. I mean, that's 3% over the. Come on, you guys. I'm mean, seriously. Like, like, that's that's 3% interest, their annual interest, right? 34% total over 11 years. You're talking 3% a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, the, it, I mean, look, we we were, I got the, the bottom had fallen out. No, of no, 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 right, right, right. no.
1: But I think the point is you can slice the interest a lot of ways. You can slice the numbers a lot of ways. I think the point is, one, the point for me is just a reminder of what it cost, of what the impact of those decisions were. But the other one is it's, it's a commentary on the politics of the time. Everyone f- knew it was a marginally good idea or a bad idea, but there was no political willpower to do something other than that.
0: Well, and I guess my I think that, point, I think
1: that would be the takeaway, it, wouldn't
0: it, it? Even as Schwarzenegger came into office and slashed the vehicle license fee and created a bigger hole, I mean, and there's, I think, some real irony in the fact that the, the, the original proposal came out of the Republican caucus, you know, who I think- you would be loath to to see this sort of thing be repeated i mean most people wouldn't you know whatever it was a different time but it, i do think that like you said, this really changed the dynamic in California, not just paving the way for Prop 30, but for the rainy day funds that we now have and, and a lot of the discussion. And
1: But it was it was this nadir, to your point, I think, of the political universe, too. Right. I mean, yeah, it, this it was, was a sign of total dysfunction. Right. It was there, the ultimate we going to be able. Democrats right. weren't going to make
2: the cuts with the Republican governor. Right. Uh, Republicans weren't going to raise taxes without <clears throat> systemic reforms or other cuts and and that took another six years and a deeper financial crisis to get out of this was a this was a second credit card this was a, a lower interest a new credit card where you pay lower interest to pay off you know your your short-term needs this was like a taking out a credit card to pay your utility bills basically is yeah what this
1: and was. but it's fascinating too though i mean to the point and i think this kind of gets at the you know where we were just a moment ago i mean you know i look back at some of the old tape of the schwarzenegger events and and we use one of the comments in the story that we've done for KQED Newsroom, our television production on Friday night, where he said, "We're not. This is not borrowing new money. This is just simply restructuring the debt." This
0: is tar- no, it tearing was tearing up the
1: credit card. It, it was one hundred percent borrowing new money. It was borrowing money um, because uh, borrowing money to pay the debt. Borrowing money to pay a debt that you couldn't pay otherwise. Right. right. So I mean, the the the, the way that. You know, did the voters understand what they were getting? Did they know? Did they care? I mean, you know, there's a long history in California of bonds being popular because bonds aren't really seen in the way that they cost money. High-speed rail, stem cells—we could go on and on and on. Borrowing is all is
2: always easier than paying more or getting less, right? It's always easier to borrow. Although I think that has—I think that you know, looking 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 at it now, ten years later, I wonder if that's. If that's changed, and maybe not fundamentally, but I think the appetite for borrowing—I mean, this there's a notion of fiscal responsibility mm-hmm. that uh, that has certainly been embraced by Brown. Uh, whether or not that's permeated to voters, yeah, you know, generally I, I, there's probably a matter of some debate. But I think the tenor of state politics is different. And look, I mean, Democrats were willing to do more with a Democratic governor than they were under a Republican. Um, I, I'm not sure Republicans were willing to do more, but voters certainly were. Uh, after after uh, the state and state lawmakers showed a willingness to make some cuts, you know, the voters sort of met them halfway with Prop 30 and increased the revenues. That's ultimately what allowed us to get, get out of this. I mean, Prop mm-hmm. 30 provided the funds for the repayment of these ERBs, uh, of these, this, these uh, 2004 bonds. So. Um, I mean that's that's the real reason. The reason we got out of the debt is because we raised our revenues by paying more taxes. So,
1: I talked to four players from that era for some of the reporting I did this week. Um, and again, it's reliving my own life. I feel like every moment of that strange period between the fall of two thousand and two and the fall of two thousand and three, right? Because remember, fall of two thousand and two, Gray Davis beat Bill Simon uh, barely, barely in a in a in a very ugly gubernatorial race. And then called the legislature into special session and announced a $35 billion deficit right around Thanksgiving. Hey! Right. And then on the we car moved. Car tax trigger. Uh, then the car tax trigger happened earlier in 2003. Uh, and then the filing of the recall, on and on and on. But right. so the people I talked to, I talked to two people who fought each other over this issue and um, in a 2006 gubernatorial primary Steve Wesley and Phil Angelides, the two Democrats, Wesley the controller, Angelides the treasurer. They both. still believe that they were right (laughs) all that time ago. Wesley believes this was the best you could do. This was all we were going to get. Angelitas believes it's clear that if you'd only raised taxes as he said you had before the bottom dropped out of everything else, and it was a smaller tax increase than we had now, then we wouldn't have had to do the borrowing. Uh, John Kupal of the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association and I talk because the Jarvis folks were part of the legal action to say that the other deficit plans were illegal. But if you went to the voters, as Kupal said to me this week, we reluctantly said, "Okay, I guess you got to do it, even though it's not smart debt. Mm -hmm. And then Joe Cancemella, former state assembly member from Contra Costa County, who now Uh is the registrar in Contra Costa, who said, you know, who was there negotiating part of this as a bipartisan group of legislators who said it was a bad deal. It was a bad deal. It was a bridge loan. It was oversold. It was, it was all we could get. But, you know, this notion that we told the voters that we had solved the problem, I think, has stuck with him all these years later. And so, again, it's, it's, it's a complicated, messy era. Uh, it shows the, the weaknesses of the system. Um, it also shows the ability of Schwarzenegger at that point to galvanize public sentiment because the polling on Prop 57 was pretty bad at the beginning and it passed with 63 yeah. percent. And Schwarzenegger alone you know, uh, did that, uh, barnstorming, shopping malls and things and whatever. With, with he had that reservoir of so of, of goodwill after the recall.
0: Yeah.
2: No, absolutely. So. Uh, you know, it, I mean, it didn't solve the problem, but, you know, in defense of Prop 57, I don't know why I'm in the position <laughs> of defending <Friday>, Prop 57, <laughs> but, um, but that it, gave, it, it also says something about the pace of politics and, and where our politics were at that time and when you still needed two-thirds to pass a budget yeah. and... Uh, and you said, well, the tax issue wasn't going to change, but there was so little trust between Democrats and Republicans. Um, and things were so bad. And and also the, the voters didn't – they weren't going to support any t- – we saw in 2009 there was another effort to raise taxes to try to, you know, dig us out of our hole. Voters weren't going for it. And that was at the depths of the financial crisis. That was with broad bipartisan support, Democrats and Governor Schwarzenegger supporting it. But, so, I mean, it, it took – you know, it took I um, really took the election of Jerry Brown to uh, to begin to sort of pivot o- away from from those discussions. and
0: I think that's sort of my point is that ultimately Schwarzenegger came into office with some really huge promises, and I would argue did not deliver on most of them. And I think that you know, ultimately his legacy, it was one that sort of exacerbated a lot of the problems that he wrote into office on, and that voters recognized that. and there was so much distrust. You know, by the end of his administration, um, with him and and that administration, and, and and amongst, as you said, the sort of political class that, um, yeah, that's all paved the way for for Jerry.
1: Well, I will end it by saying this: any reporter or any policy person who has been around Sacramento for the last ten years and has watched the way that we've had to deal with the budget after that era, will be happy to know that within a few months' time, we will no longer even have to ever use the word or the phrase triple flip. Not until the Summer well, Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> the triple flip, the way that we paid for the Prop 57 deficit bonds. The complicated ties the revenues of the—never mind. The complicated way of moving sales tax revenues between local and state government to basically not have to spend any more money but not hurt local governments— the triple Lindy, as I used to call it, the Rodney Dangerfield movie. Yes, back but, to school. Back to school. Yeah. Thank you. But the triple flip is over. So can we all just celebrate yes. that briefly? Uh, <laughs> there, there it was. That was your moment of zen in homage to uh, the, 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 the end of the John Stewart era. All right. That's another podcast. Uh, that is this week's California Politics Podcast. For Marisa Lagos and Anthony York. I'm John Myers. Thanks for listening.